you're listening to the podcast. So there I was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. This is episode 22 with Jedi. What are we calling this one, Fig? You, you mean episode double deuce? Double We're going to call this It's a Small World. It is indeed a small world. Jedi had some awesome stories. He's got some amazing stories. He's got a substack. He's quite the prolific author. He's a great raconteur. So I, I don't know what else to say except uh, a guard guy, flew phantoms, flew vipers. Another another uh, non-gold wing uh, pilot, which right. uh, this is starting to be a trend now. Yeah. One was an uh, accident, two's a trend. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Could have, do we have to break trend? What are we going to do? So we'll figure it out. I've even gotten some comments from guys that are in the maintenance in our old squadron that want to oh. come on and talk stupid pilot tricks. I think it could happen. Yeah, I think we're going to have some fun. It is. I'm looking forward to it. So I hope you're all looking forward to this. Sit back, buckle in. Don't sit on the ejection seat handle and enjoy this. It's a small world. Episode 22. So there I was. That's how all great aviation stories start. Isn't that right? My co-host repeat. Your co-host repeat here from New Hampshire tonight. Absolutely, everybody. Welcome to the show. So this is going to be episode 22. So there what? I was. The double deuce. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> in, uh, I think it's 22. I don't know. Yeah, don't, hold, don't hold me. It's, it's in the 20s. That's the good news. So uh, have another cocktail and we'll keep talking. Right? <laughs> we'll make it happen. So, yeah, we're joined by our second Air Force pilot of, of our series. So uh, we're, we're excited to have you, Jedi. Welcome aboard. Thanks. Nice to be here. I'm, I'm, it's pretty cool, I have to be honest with you. And it's nice to be the second Air Force guy. Now, uh, uh, we, we were talking off air, and so I have to ask you a quick question before we go into the standard questions there, Jedi. You, you were a uh, guard considered a guard baby right you started yeah. in the guard i mean you're a guard guy forever so do you take offense to being called an air force guy or or you would or you rather be yeah. called an air guard guy yeah you know i never well it's one and the same really the way because i was a guard guy but then i went active duty agr because you know what i did because yeah. i was actually in the fighter weapons school as an instructor so a uh, little little background on me after um after my active duty Marine Corps time and I, I went to work for the airline, I moved my family back here. I stumbled into an air guard job. I finished my career in the air guard. And oh. I, I can tell you that my unit um, had much disdain for active duty air force. Uh, and it was kind of a feeling. I thought that was guard wide. Maybe, maybe it was just the, uh, you know, my unit. Who are you with? What unit? It's a C1. It was a C-130 unit. Um, I ended oh, up flying okay. C-130s in the guard. Yep. St. Joe, St. Joe, Missouri. Well, you know, uh, I tried real hard to get in a uh, A-10 unit that was also close, uh, but at my timing was horrible. They were bracking A-10 units all over the country, so yeah. all these A-10 guys were scrambling for guard and reserve jobs, and I wasn't an A-10 guy. But the uh, C-130 guys, I wasn't even looking for a job up there. I just went up there flying a Cessna one day, and uh, long story short, they were they needed somebody, and they hired me on the spot. Yeah, oh. cool. ended up retiring as a squadron commander. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. I, I don't think I ever could have made it that high. I was just too much of a wise ass. I, I shouldn't have. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I can assure you Fig was a wise ass. Uh, <laughs> a complete liberty risk. Yes. <laughs> they were clueless when they gave him the squadron. <laughs> Am I right, Fig? Fig that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty much the so solid state of facts right there. Yeah, it's, it's not an insult. It's just the fact. So. No, that's a, that's the facts. Well, welcome, uh, welcome, Jedi. Yeah. So, how'd you wind up uh, getting interested in uh, airplanes and this whole flying thing, anyway, Jedi? Yeah, my old man was a pilot. Um, World War II. Um, actually, he got in before World War II. He was a service. He his parents were pretty well to do. They plunked down about five grand. In fact, Wiggins, right near uh, you, Pete, up there, northeast Boston Airport. That's right. where my dad learned to fly back in 1940. So World War II transport pilot, you know, there's a, uh, we'll go into, I wrote a book about my dad and I and our flying experiences, but, um, you know, growing up, 
uh, every birthday, my dad would take me flying. And um, eventually, when I was 15 years old, he said, do you want to learn to fly? Never once ever brought up me being a pilot before this, ever. Yeah, we talked about flying. And he said, uh, do you want to fly? And I said, yeah, that'd be fun. So he soloed me when I was 16, right around my 16th birthday. And then he pawned me off to a good friend of his, Jack, who took me all the way up to commercial and instrument and all that. And then I had a neighbor who flew F-105s in the garden. It was a flight test. My dad was a flight test. He was in the airlines. And then he was a flight test pilot for 30 years with the FAA, 36 years. Oh, wow. And okay. my neighbor um, was a 105 pilot in the guard in Atlantic City, Bob Grace. In fact, he has a distinction for barrel rolling a Convair 880 over the same airport he flew F 105s at. That is impressive. And you guys know what that Convair 880 is? I, uh, oddly enough, I do. And I wish I could say that my kids knew what their very first flight was. But when I was three years old, my parents met working for TWA. Uh, when I was three years old, my mother flew me from Chicago to Pittsburgh to spend the summer with my grandparents. And we rode in a Convair 880. And I still oh, have no a copy yeah. of the Polaroid that um, I remember sitting in the back left of the airplane, but when we went up uh, the tail stair, the back end stairs, I got a tour of the cockpit. Uh, I remember him showing me the, uh, how the trim knob moved the rudder and that kind of stuff. Those, you know, just little flashes of things. Yeah. Uh, but, and then I found this picture that uh, of a circle around the rear window with an arrow pointing to it on the left side. And I looked up the tail number of that thing. It's, it's sitting in the uh, desert out in uh, uh, New Mexico. To, uh, oh, to this cool. day, but yeah, I mean, so I know but, the first airplane I ever rode on was a Convair 880. It's very cool. Yeah, and barrel rolling that—that's a full-on airliner. That's a—that's a—that's an impressive feat. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that was a. The Navy had bought the airplane from the FAA to be a. Uh, believe it or not, it was going to be a tanker for the uh, YF-17 when they were developing that. Okay. So. They were delivering the airplane out and uh, to the, they were taking it from Atlantic City to Oak City. And my dad and Bob were driving to work one day. And my dad said to Bob, you don't have a hair on your butt if you don't do something memorable for that. Because all the pilots love flying it. So Bob goes, Kenny, I got something. Just stand on top of the hangar and watch. So they took off to the south, southeast, went over Atlantic City, turned around. 1,500 feet, 250 knots. Bob does a big old barrel roll right over the. It's an FAA airplane over an FAA airport. And they continued on to Oak City, and it took Bob two years to get his license back. Hold my beer <laughs> and watch this. <laughs> Pretty much it. Uh, the flight, engineer, the flight yes. engineer, Louie, I knew Louie. He was a good guy. He said, Roger, it was like the most perfect barrel roll you could ever imagine. Uh, he said, when I looked up forward, I saw we were upside down. It goes, I grabbed my cup and my pencils, but nothing was moving. The cup, the coffee in my cup was perfectly level. That's anyway. Awesome. It's pretty cool. Done properly. There's your so, barrel roll. So anyway, Bob just, uh, my senior year of college, Bob said, why don't you, you know, I told him I wanted to be an airline pilot. He said, why don't you go in the guard? And so I did, I joined a F4 unit at McGuire and uh, went through F4 RTU. Well, I went through Air Force pilot training obviously first and then F4 RTU at McConnell. And the oddest thing is when I finished my F4 RTU, they called me when I got to my home station, they said, hey, do you wanna come back and be a F4 RTU instructor? And I was like, uh, I just finished, I, can I do that? And they said, yeah, we'll get you a waiver. So I flew got 200 hours in the airplane and then they brought me out there and i got checked out as an ip nice and you stayed in the, at the at the rtu to be an instructor I did. Jenna? it was at mcconnell had 72 f4s at the time they were the guard reserve f4 training back in the mid 80s in the 80s okay. yeah, they had a lot of f4s oh yeah and uh then they in 86 or probably 86 they went they got the uh f4 fighter weapons school 
So I was asked to go to fighter weapons school. So I went to that and then they turned around. They said, we want you to be an instructor in the weapons school. So for somebody who never wanted to fricking instruct in an airplane ever, I guess uh, God had other plans. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, let me back but, up for just a second. You you mentioned that you wrote a book about your uh, flying experiences with your uh, with your dad. Uh, where can people find that? What's the name of it? Uh, it's on Amazon. It's called uh, "Flying Between Heaven and Hell: Weathering Storms," and it's it's yeah, you know, it's got a lot of flying stories. It's got a lot of drama too. My dad was an alcoholic and. He was pretty abusive. I won't go into that here per se, but um, yeah, it's um, just, you know, there's a, just a lot of flying stuff. Talk about my civilian stuff, my military stuff, nice. and then the stuff in the uh, airlines that I do now. Okay, perfect. Oh, that's awesome. So you found yourself in what we love, uh, what'd you guys call it? We lovingly refer to it as the lead sled. The F4, the Phantom? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you call it? The lead sled, uh, proof that even a brick will fly given enough power. Yeah, I always thought the 105 was like the lead sled, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> yes. You got to watch out. Every once, every once in a while, repeat makes shit up. I yeah, mean, you know, he just... <laughs> I'm making it up now. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, the one, I, I love flying there for. You know, I, I heard your, I have to tell you, you guys want to talk. You had, I was listening to that guy, Nasty, talk about his uh, F 14 going vertical. And all that, right. yeah. And uh, I was listening to that. I was thinking, yeah, it's interesting that they were actually training that as a uh, that they were doing that as a syllabus ride. Because when I went through RTU, I had an instructor teach me that, but that was not part of the ride. That was his. You know, every instructor might have their own little bit that they teach us off the syllabus. So when I was going through as a lieutenant, I was taught to go. Ver you know, this guy said, yeah, let's go vertical. So we went up and we'd go at 10,000 feet full blower, pull the nose up in a, you know, a energy conserving light tickle pull, go straight up full blower. And you get up to about 30,000 feet, pull it out of burner, put it in mill and approaching 150 knots feet in rudder uh, left or right to get the nose going one way or another. So by the time you went zero airspeed, the airplane literally just fall straight back as the nose was slowly going pointing down and then past the 300 knots, you just go ahead and start a recovery. So I'd been teaching that to my students in the F4 when I was an RTU instructor and never had an issue with it. So I get out of active duty. I'm with the airlines and I'm flying in a guard unit. I'm actually back in the one that initially sent me at McGuire in New Jersey. We had a student they closed the F4 RTU and he had about 10 rides. So they said, Roger, you used to be an RTU instructor. Can you give him some training in the F4 since we don't have any guys that are really that current in being an RTU guy? So I said, yeah. So the very first ride with this guy, <laughs> I said, dude, this is going to be awesome. We're going to do advanced handling. So we go out over the ocean, Whiskey 107, and we do all the pitchback slicebacks and all that. And so we got down to about 6,000 pounds of gas. And I said, all right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the airplane, zoom straight up and let it run out of airspeed. And I'll show you that nothing bad will happen. We kind of pre-briefed this in the, the base ops prior, you know, flight briefing room. So we go out okay. 10,000 feet, pick up 500 knots, uh, light tickle, full blower, nose up. And the guy was doing a great job holding the nose straight up. Approaching 150 knots, I said, all right, go ahead and I said, kick in the rudder. What I meant was blend it in, not kick it. Well, he kicks full rudder. Oh. The, oh, yeah. The airplane went sideways for a little bit. I was like, oh, shit. I, this is not good. <laughs> and, uh, I, was Steve's that an like, Octafluguron or a... <laughs> Well, Steve was like, do you want the airplane? I said, no, you can keep it. There's not a lot I can do right now. So he held the stick forward. The airplane's kind of going sideways, and I'm thinking, nah, I've never been like this before. And just as I think we're safe, you know, again, your your buddy Nasty was talking about seeing things like microseconds, but it seemed like seconds. You know, the Air Force right. talked about it. Remember a thing called temporal distortion? Right. Where you're yes. heightened awareness and everything slows down. 
So we're like going straight up. The airplane's kind of going sideways, not doing anything. I'm like, ah, I think we're going to be all right. And then it starts rolling. And now it's rolling and it's like flipping end over end. And it goes from oh. being up. Now we're falling down. Oh, boy. And to this day, I remember the, you know, the bold face stick forward, uh, you know, ailerons are rather neutral. So I said, Steve, go ahead and put the bold face in. And the airplane literally was still rolling and going end over end, but it wasn't, it wasn't violent. I mean, it was the visual. I mean, you, if you had a weak stomach, you probably were thrown up, but <laughs> it just, and so it didn't recover. So I said, all right, stick full forward, aileron return needle, aircraft unloaded, ailerons neutral. That's the bull face. And you're supposed to pop the drag chute, which I said to Steve, don't pop the drag chute just yet. You know, I, I don't want to come home without a drag chute. That's like kind of admitting defeat. Right. So Steve was like, well, is it supposed to be doing this? I said, no, nah, this is a little different than what I've done before. <laughs> and we're coming up on 10,000 feet. And he goes, well, what now? And I said, Steve, 10,000 feet. If it's still like this, we're punching out. So I, I said, get ready. And it was almost like the airplane heard us. It just, boom, at about 12,000 feet. Nose went straight down. I said, Steve, hold it, hold it, hold it. And then go through 300 knots. I said, all right, start a nice, easy pull. And um, we level off around 10,000, a little below. And I mean, there's dead silence in this cockpit. <laughs> and the next thing, Steve's like, I want to go home. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely. Okay, I got, I got two questions. I think I know the answer to the first one, um, but I got to confirm it. So in the model that you were flying, you had controls in the backseat as the instructor, correct? Yeah, all the Air Force did, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And then the second one, second question was, uh, you, so you started that by the time he, you told him to feed in the rudder and he, he kicked full rudder. Was that like 30,000 ish or how high yeah, were you guys? Holy yeah, cow. So you're looking yeah. at the altimeter winding down towards 10 now thinking, okay. holy shit. So you tumbled, you tumbled 20,000 feet. Yes. Yes. I, I like <laughs> every time I did that in the past, every time the airplane would go straight up. And one time, like with this one student, he didn't put anything in. We literally did a uh, tail slide for about five, 5,000 feet. The, oh, that's impressive. We were conning as we were at the, like 30,000 mark. And we literally were falling back through a con. And you could see it, the vortices as they rolled off the airplane as we fell into the con. And oh, then the airplane just flopped over. But this one with... Um, with this guy it was a bit unusual so i i just uh, had a flashback i'm just gonna say this real quick uh i was an instructor at uh, at kingsville and I, I flew the ta4 and i was f also flying the t45 concurrently we were we were just checked we were just getting every guy's new instructors checked out in the t45 so we do a confidence maneuver uh right before the safer solo ride in the in the ta4 and uh, it was a, a near vertical zero airspeed departure. Uh, you had to avoid the vertical because that airplane had a, um, it took a long time to recover if it ended up on its back in a, in, in a, in a spin state. It took a long time. And no, normally you didn't have that much altitude. So we just avoided about a 20 degree window at the nadir. You could go, you could go 70 nose up or one you know one uh what is it one 110 the other way but you couldn't be 90 public and math. so this guy this, this kid that i'm flying with nate navy kid he's in the front seat this is his safe for solo ch ch check check out basically and uh and i'd flown with him before he was really sharp so he had a little halo effect going on i kind of you know i was I, I let my guard down a little bit and i said okay take me through a nose high you know uh, zero airspeed departure and as the airplane's getting quiet because it's slowing down i'm looking out to the side enjoying this beautiful day you know not a cloud in the sky and and i'm thinking gosh what a beautiful day then i think wait a minute we, this looks like we're, this looks like it's straight up and i looked inside and sure enough man the nose was on the nadir of the of the of the gyro i'm like i got the airplane and by that late by that time it was too late airspeed was going through like 50 knots going to zero and i'm like oh, oh here we go you know so but uh, we lived we, we spoiler yeah. alert <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we that. And that, nothing bad happened it was we, we were lucky uh but yeah 
So he kind of triggered a memory there. Okay. Awesome. Uh, how many hours did you end up with in the F4? Because it sounds like you probably had a bunch. 1,800. How many? 1,800 hours. Mm -hmm. Tell me, uh, so you you also flew the F-16 after that, correct? I did, yeah. I, yeah, it was, yeah, it was funny. You know, I, I just wanted to bring a, since you guys are Marines, and I was there, I wanted to bring an um, interesting confluence of the two services as far as this goes. Um, when I was a lieutenant in the F-4, uh, brand new, checked out as an IP, one of the backseaters wanted to go to um, Pensacola. And I was looking for flying time, wanted to get as much to flying time as I could get. So like, like I, on a cross country said, there, Jetty? Yeah, on a, on yeah. a cross country? Yeah, it was a Friday. Oh, so yeah. he said it was in the winter time. So he said, uh, will you fly me to Pensacola? And I said, sure. So we go down there and he was a backseater. So I dropped him off. He had a nephew who was, I guess back in the eighties, uh, y'all had, um, officer school down there or something Is uh, the, the navy did aviation officer the candidate school there yeah okay yeah so his nephew is was graduating that weekend so he wanted to be with his family so we're flying into pensacola and it was a really crappy night it was like 500 over winds were from the south at like uh 15 gusted 25 a lot of rain and uh you guys don't have ILSs, so i got a par going in there it broke out yeah. like 500 feet, a mile viz, landed. And again, typical, you know, Marine Navy, you guys have 8,000 foot runways. Uh, Air Force, we're used to luxurious 10,000 foot runways. So I land, pop the chute, stop, and actually turned off without going off the end of the runway because we don't think about taking cables <laughs> like the Navy. To reuse the airplane, another successful landing. <laughs> so I let, turned me, off let me jump in real quick just uh, so before people lose it. So a PAR is a precision approach radar, and there's actually a guy on the ground in the radar room who has a radar-type glide slope, and he tells the pilot, begin begin your descent now, slightly above glide slope. So on glide slope, coming down and on glide, and you flew an airspeed and a rate of descent, and it was just like – a voice-activated ILS instrument landing system, which now gives us an electronic glide slope to follow all the way down to the runway. So I want to let people know what a PAR was. Sorry. So anyway, we do the PAR, we land. Uh, I tell Bill, the backseater, I said, look, go ahead, join your family. Uh, I'll put the airplane to bed. And here I'm thinking I'm a young lieutenant. It's Friday night. I'm in Pensacola. You know, all the world's women are waiting for me at the officer's club. So I get my bags uh, and I vaguely remember as I was putting the airplane to bed, the sound of a, the whine of a jet. Oh, I forgot. Ground, when I turned off the runway, Ground said to me, hey, uh, what was the braking action? I said, oh, I said, if I can stop an F4 and 8,000 feet, it's got to be good. And they're like, okay, thanks. So anyway, like I said, I vaguely heard the whine of an airplane jet engine as I was putting the airplane, closing the canopy and putting it to bed for the weekend. Walked across, you know, I called the base, said I was there, walked across the street, going to the officer's club or wherever it was on that base. I can't really remember. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to, like, enter a bar full of women. I walked in this lovely Navy bar on a Friday night, and I think there are, like, seven freaking people in the place. And I think they're all near-dead retirees that were just doing something on a Friday night. They finished their golf game uh, earlier. Yep. Or oh, yeah, probably getting it. rained out. You know, it's it. like... So friggin' just, I was like, this is bullshit. Where, where are these Navy women that I hear, you know, all these women. So I'm, I walk up to the bar and there's like one other person at the bar is an L shape, as I remember. And there's one other guy on the right side. I dropped my bags there right at the bar. Uh, got my drink from the, uh, you know, rum and Coke, whatever I was drinking at the time. I'm sitting at the bar, talking to the bartender and there, the smattering of people were behind me somewhere at the tables. So I'd been there about 30 minutes and um, suddenly there's this booming voice. Where's the F4 pilot? And I was like, shit, I got a patch on my left arm and a patch on my right arm that says an F4. I'm wearing a green hmm. flight suit. I've uh, got my bags right there. I'm guessing and I the voice the wasn't female. <laughs> no. no. I look at the bartender and the bartender points at me and he goes, I think he means you. Oh, and boy. so I kind of like look over my shoulder and then walks this guy through the doors. 
he was the quintessential Marine. He's like flat top, five foot seven high, five foot seven wide at the shoulders, you know, and he is like marching towards me. I'm thinking, oh shit, what the hell did I do? It's on. <laughs> so I am just sitting at the bar trying, I figure if I don't move, he'll think maybe I'm invisible. And I'm just sitting there and I'm looking at the bartender and I'm like, is he coming? The bartender's giving me bullseyes. He's coming. He goes, yeah, 40 feet. 30 feet, 20 feet. And so now I'm like looking at my drink, just like looking around all that. And I could see this guy in my peripheral vision on the right side. And he wanted me to look at him. And I was like scared to death. So I just sat there and I looked up. I was going to talk to the bartender. Bartender bailed on me. He's down at the other end of the bar wiping glasses as if they're, you know, they're wet, but they're probably already dry. Oh, yeah. Um, so finally this guy literally leans over the bar to get my attention so i'm like uh, i said hey he goes did you tell ground that the breaking action was good i said yes sir he could, and he literally put his left arm on my right shoulder and he said son if you ever go into a navy or marine air force or military base again and there is a crosswind 15 to 25 on a wet runway. You never tell them the braking action is good. He said, I flew my A4 in here and they said the braking action was good. And I damn near went off the runway, had to take a midfield cable because I thought I was going to slide off the runway because some dipshit said the braking action was good. He said, so <laughs> the next time you go into a base with a wet runway and a crosswind, what are you going to say the braking action is? Uh, four. four and then he looks at me he goes learning has occurred and he turned around and walked out and i was like holy shit so now i've got my oldest son who is uh going through f8 he he went well he's flying f18s now he's a marine so he was actually in t45s in kingsville like you uh fig yeah and the commander said said, look, you, can, you need some cross-country time for your training. We're going to Miramar for a tail hook. So Kyle and the base commander, the, whatever you guys call it, group commander, uh, training, T-45 commander, I don't know what they are. He's probably the wing so commander. They fly to, wing commander? Yeah, training wing to commander. So they fly to, uh, to Miramar. And this guy that Kyle flew with is knows this Marine guy who is a retired general. So those guys were talking and having drinks and obviously Kyle's with them. So this Marine guy looks at Kyle and says, Kyle, tell me a Marine story. So Kyle tells him what I told, just told you guys. Right. And the guy got a big grin on his face and he goes, that was me. No. <laughs> yeah. And what it comes are the circle. Is that wild? Yeah. It's a small, small community. That yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. It's very small. It, it's so small. You know, you don't, it's like, okay. You know, wouldn't want to paint it. It's not that small, but it's a small world when you're an aviator. Yeah. Especially marine aviation. It, yeah. uh, there aren't that many of us. So. All right. So after, uh, after tour, after F4s, uh, you were a, a, a weapons officer or wet, and then you were instructor at the weapons school. Yeah. Uh, then eventually, uh, no more F4s. So that's when you transitioned to, uh, F16s. Yeah. Well, I got, you know, I got hired by my airline, um, when I was in weapons school and then went to briefly to the F4 at the unit that initially hired me back when I was uh, just graduated college. And then uh, they were closing, they were, they well, we were supposed to get F-16s at McGuire, but for some reason, I don't know, they pissed off somebody, they were gonna get a tanker. So I bailed and I went down to Atlantic City. All right. And uh, got down to Atlantic City. Hey, what years were you in Atlantic City? Just curious. Uh, nine eighty nine to ninety four. Holy cow! So there's a hot. Did you ever fight Harriers? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was gonna say because uh, if we if we were looking to do DACT and didn't and had none coordinated, we could call the Atlantic City guys like you know five minutes prior to takeoff and say, hey, you guys want to fight? They're like, yeah, 
Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we flew a lot of uh, with F-18s out of Andrews also. You guys are Marines oh, down awesome. there, weren't you? Yep. That yeah. was our reserve yep. squadron, but yeah. 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 That was yeah, a, that's actually, awesome. That was a good fight in the F-18 versus the uh, F-16 back then. It, it was uh, it was kind of an unfair fight betwixt us and the uh, Vipers. Uh, they they <laughs> just didn't have the capability to get the energy. Uh, you I guys remember did that more than once. And then that was it. Yeah. That was it. It was our magic yeah. trick, and done. Yeah. And, you know, we were the fastest airplane in the world at 400 knots, and then after that, you know, everyone was blown by us. But yeah, we do side by side takeoffs and get up to 375, 400 much quicker than anyone else and then our intake was like a great big speed break sticking out in the breeze slowing us down from much more acceleration than that um you know we could we could get up in the in the mid 600s but uh uh you, you couldn't uh you couldn't rapidly get there after after 400 but uh but i digress i just I, the other thing i remember was the f-16s i go fight those guys they'd always roll in from beyond visual range at you know 40 miles pick us up on radar shoot us in the face rolling in from 45,000 feet, shoot us in the ass, going by us in Mach 1, <laughs> and go, ever, got you twice, you got, got you twice, reset. Did you ever go to, did you ever go to, Har did you ever go to Wally Flag? Uh, uh, to what? <laughs> there was a, the, the first time I flew against the uh, Harrier was at Wally Flag, and okay. it was a, the Selfridge Air National Guard in the 80s. Okay. It was a, they were A7 unit, but, okay. um, they used to have a big, uh, every two years, they would have a big, um, you know, get together, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, okay. Canadians. Um, in fact, that year I went, they had uh, uh, tornadoes there from um, uh, Italy, Italian. Yeah. And that, there were a bunch of Harriers there and we flew against them. And that was when I saw you guys do your bat turn. Yeah. It water your eyes. <laughs> it would, yeah. It just, was. yeah. And then we just go up in the vertical and shoot you. That's yeah. okay. <laughs> Exactly. You always, you always knew, you always knew after that first turn, if you were flying with a guy that had gotten burned by a, by the, by the Harrier before they wouldn't turn with you, they'd just go straight up. Then you knew you, you had a lot of, you had a lot of work to do to stay alive at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of over. over. I want to go back real quickly to the breaking action. Fig had a famous line in the, in the Marines. He got asked oh for a breaking action by a tower controller one time and his, his reply was essentially yeah the brakes in this thing suck <laughs> yeah we had one main gear with, with brakes on it the outriggers the nose gear obviously didn't have brakes on it and uh, yeah it was not a very good area you know stop and land don't land and stop in the area so yeah, i think the uh the, per, the, the uh, correct the, hey uh, can you give us a break in action report i said breaking action is always poor in this airplane <laughs> even when it's dry it's poor yeah. Yeah, you're talking about cables you know you guys in the navy and marines were so used to taking cables and you know in the air force we didn't yeah it was mostly an emergency thing and uh yeah, i was, had this one time i was flying f force it was just before i went to the viper um we were getting uh Check, we were doing training for a uh, ORI, Operational Readiness Inspection, ORE, whatever you guys, I don't mm -hmm. know you guys called it, where they just do like a wartime eval on you guys and your, I don't know, it, but it was ORE for the uh, Air Force okay. Operational Readiness okay. Inspection or Evaluation. So we were doing a workup for that and um, this commander uh, decided to launch us we hadn't flown a lot. Now I'm a traditional guardsman. So I flew maybe five, six sorties a month. We had a UTA weekend where that's when everybody gets together. Um, well, you would know that thing because you were, you did that. Yeah. So we got launched on a day when I never thought a commander would launch us like 500 over thunderstorms, pouring rain. We would not be able to take off uh, in formation. So we were carrying bombs. So we had to, we were going to do a radar trail, which we never did because McGuire is right underneath New York and Washington airspace and it's busy, particularly during, you know, that weather. Right. So I briefed the radar trail departure and, uh, yeah, the, the radar actually in the F4 is pretty reliable, at least the guard, guard ones. I very rarely did I ever take off without a radar that wasn't functional, but of course today in the worst kind of weather, take off number two, his radar 
was broken. So we get, I get airborne, he says gadget bent. I get a turn to a heading, a left turn about 30 degrees. So I go left to a heading, I think it was 210. Two, continues straight on 240. Three, sees two going, me going left, two going straight. He decides to pick a heading in between us. And four, sees three airplanes going all different directions. He has no clue which ones to follow. So he follows me, which was the right decision. And now I quickly realize in McGuire, departures screaming that the airplanes are all going divergent. And I just thought, you know what? This is so effed up. So I said, all right, <laughs> everybody go to Coil VOR. We're going to hold it 500 foot increments from 5,000 feet down. And we did. So we, we enter a hold. And I said, the, I forget the radio. I said, I hold inbound on the uh, 180 degree radio. So we're holding at 500 foot increments. I thought maybe we could join up, but the weather was so bad, you just couldn't do it. So I told McGuire, I said, when we were supposed to go down to Bloodsworth Range, which was down in the Chesapeake and drop bombs. And I was like, there is no freaking way we're going to get down there in this weather. I mean, like I said, thunderstorms, rain. So we're holding. And I said, okay, boys, what we're going to do is we're going to break up. We're going to do individual ILSs burn down your fuel. And when you feel you've got, you know, you're low enough, then just go ahead and full stop. Now we're divert. We briefed a divert every day um, with a bingo. In this case, it was 5,500 pounds. And it was Patuxent River. Okay. So we all do it. So we break off two, three, four, however we went. McGuire's giving us individual approaches. We're doing touch and goes the back up into the goo, back around the pattern, and we're just burning down fuel. So I'm the first one who's going to land first. So I touch down, pull the drag chute. The back seater says, dude, the entire drag chute just plopped on the runway. So I, li <laughs> I lifted off again because I knew from doing the data, our stopping distance was 13,000 feet on a wet runway. And we did have anesthesia. Wow. But the problem was that I took a departure end cable. The Air Force was so poor getting airplanes out of the cable the other three guys probably would have diverted. And plus we had some other guys airborne. So I went back up, I went to the coil VOR and I helped and I told McGuire, I said, I'm gonna hold here so you recover the other three airplanes and I'll come in because I gotta take a departure and cable. So we're, I'm holding and I'm telling, I'm telling approach, I'm like 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'm telling, if you can't get them in, I've got to divert. And I said, I'm going to be going to Patuxent River. So five minutes. And they said, ah, one more to recover. We got two airplanes come from Whiskey 107. We want to get them in first. I said, okay. I said, I got to divert, declare an emergency, going to Patuxent River now. We're climbing to 31,000 feet. This controller screamed. He goes, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I said, well, I'm doing it. Yeah, watch this. And so It's called the E word. Yeah. Was, <laughs> so we just... I told the backseater, give me Pax River and the INS. We went INS. We're going direct, climbing to 32. I got mill power. And they sent us over to Washington Center. Washington Center was like, uh, go to Atlantic City. Atlantic City was box off. I said, I can't get in there. Um, go to Dover. Dover's cables, and I don't even think they had them, but I, if they did, they were in the overrun. That I couldn't do that. Go to Philly, wet runway, can't go there. So I said, I'm going to Pax River, deal with it. They send me another controller. Go to here, go to, I mean, it was like with three controllers, they were all, go to this guy, go to this airport. I said, no, I'm just, I said, look, we got an APX. I can see all the mode three paints of all the airplanes. Mm -hmm. We got a radar. I can see all the skin paints. Um, and I mean, I gotta tell you, dude, we actually flew through a thunderstorm just you know, to make sure we could help avoid some of the crap and wow. plus we just didn't have the gas so we top out at what like 31 something like that you get about 45 miles out do a you know idle descent and i told pax river we got to take an approach end cable because weather was there it was bad there thunderstorms rain sure. yeah. took an approach end cable there and uh, as we're taxing in ground goes well you probably knew this was coming but washington center wants you to give them a call <laughs> sure like, yeah so okay. i called this guy and it's so funny so i called the you know this is back when landlines were in vogue 
So right. I get the operator and said, hey, this is the uh, collect call. And so I called the number for Washington Center. I said, this is collect call from uh, Shogun One. That was my call sign. Okay. And she goes, who? I said, Shogun One. And I said, just tell him that he'll know who it is. So the guy answers, he goes, yeah, this is the Washington Center watch supervisor. And the operator goes, sir, I've got a collect call from somebody called Shogun One. He goes, well, I won't take the call unless he gives me his name. I said, you're not getting my name. <laughs> so the guy goes, well, you got to give me your name. I said, you're not getting my, I don't want this phone call. You did. Yeah, so, that's right. So anyway, he goes, oh, I'll take the phone call. He goes, what the hell is your problem, boy? He goes, do you have any idea of all the airplanes I had to maneuver around you for that? I said, I sat in the hole for 20 minutes and I told McGuire I was going to divert to Pax River. They couldn't recover me. You know, if you guys don't have the coordination to talk to each other, they could have let you know. And, you know, they could have made better coordination. But um, I got to my min fuel. I went down. I said, we, as it was, we landed with 10 minutes of gas. We landed with a thousand pounds. Holy cow. He goes, well, all right. Well, I, I guess we need to coordinate better. And he goes, well, and by the way, another one of your boys is on his way. So, <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I got I got a couple questions based on that then. So uh, That's a great story. Uh, one is uh, what, what happened to your uh, drogue shoot? Didn't that foul the runway? Did they, did they take their sweet time to get out there and and get that? We did, and you know, it's, yeah, that's and that's what that was another thing. You know, the base ops had to go out there and get it, and it took them a while to get that too. So so that clogs the runway for a little while. Yeah. Oh, man. And then explain why you climb up to thirty one, thirty two thousand feet. Non pilots are not going to get get that whole process that program. you know actually I, if you really want the truth i pulled that out of my ass because we didn't revert to any charts my old man always said you know if you got 100 miles to go take a third of it and that's what you want to go up to if you're in a jet bingo and yeah. so that's yeah. about it was about 140 when i started so we just went that's what i thought was a good altitude yeah so and literally bingo when we that was our bingo profile you got as high as you could and then you just were an idle all the way you got that yep, nice descent exactly. and it wasn't burning much gas the jet engine doesn't burn, burn much gas i, I tell you the interesting thing that descent. that caught us off guard as a unit is they briefed that 5500 pounds based on no wind well it's the winter time guess what the headwinds were oh, 140 yeah. miles oh boy so that, yeah, I would say I was sucking up the seat cushion on that bad boy. I thought I was going to be punching out this short of uh, Pax River runway. Oh man! Well, we—you uh, may know—we we didn't have a tail hook in the uh, on the AV8. I didn't know that. That was actually one of our uh, the banes of our existence. Was if there was a raised cable on the runway, we would need to land beyond it or cross it at taxi speed. So that was one of the things we were always looking for. We, we didn't want to land especially do a conventional landing and touchdown before that cable. We, there was at least one I know of, uh, and there's probably more than one Harrier that wound up flipping over or ripping off an outrigger on uh, raised arresting cable. Um, it, it makes for a bad day. So, uh, yeah, I'll bet. All right, Jedi, how many hours did you get in the F-16? I only flew that about, I got about 350, 400, something like that. Now, I, was a, I was a traditional part guard. So you, you, I'm going to throw a name at you. Just, uh, just curious, uh, call sign Fester. God, you got to give me the name. Front well, first name. uh, Steve. Oh yeah, I know Steve. Yeah. He was there when I was there. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I knew him from my airline. Yeah, he was, he was an F4 and then F16 guy and, uh, yeah. call sign Fester. I loved flying the Viper. As far as the you know the thrust to weight, the maneuvering capability, I got so many times in the F4, I was getting tired of getting my ass shot off by a Viper. Um, so you know, it was just nice to go back and do the same to you know when I flew against F4s. So that was fun. Tell me, um, what was the best part about F4s? Because I always wanted to fly the F4, and when I when I got to uh, time to choose the aircraft, the Marine Corps only had one F4 squadron. It was an RF4 squadron. They weren't putting new guys in it anymore. So tell me, what, what was your best, what was your most memorable, favorite thing about the F-4? Flying low levels. Flying low level. You know, flying, like, without question, being an instructor in the weapons school, without question, it was probably the best job. If you're ever, you know, if there's any listeners out there that are going to ever go in the military and fly fighters, 
if you can ever be an instructor in the weapons school, because it's a license to kill. You, as long as you don't break the airplane, hit the ground, it was, it was just a great, great job. And flying out there, Nellis in the ranges and doing 650, 700 knots on the deck. And uh, then the air to air stuff. Um, it was just, I loved it. I, that part flying little levels, the air to air part, you know, because of flying against F-16s. At 15s and get shot, but just flying the low levels probably I've really and flying in the weapons school is great. Was that was that aircraft uh, really stable at low level? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was fast. Even milk power, you could get uh, 650 indicated, 600 easy. It was it was very. It was a, <laughs> that's it was awesome. Amazing um, yeah, there's you know I don't know if you guys want to hear this story. Um, Yes, oh, the sure answer is yes. That's we want to hear here. the story. <laughs> this, but this is this is this is a pretty cool story. When in the weapons school, when you started the ME phase, all the weapons schools graduated at the same time. I don't know if you guys ever participated in ME yeah, phase, but I, I did. One. Okay, so you know what I'm saying. Uh, yep. you know, everybody's there. All the weapons schools. So yeah, you're at the big movie theater for the Red Flag building, and you're doing an in brief and you know okay you guys you know this is the roe and all that bullshit and they go through it and you know the colonel's up there trying all right you know don't kill anybody don't well there is an area in the nellis ranges called the farms and it's right after uh student gap when mount irish and when you're going westbound and it's where they have people live under there and they have farms and you're you were not they didn't want you to drop chaff or flares particularly flares i think it was like less than 1500 feet above the ground and i want to say 500 feet was the min altitude just because of the fact that there were people living under there so this one time they wanted to show this video and they thought that this video was going to like scare all of us into behaving as pilots um over the farms they underestimate you <laughs> you are fearless. <laughs> this this farmer got this video camera from his son, and he's he's he lives on the farms underneath this area, so he's filming this video and he's talking to his son. He goes, "Well, you know, Johnny, here's some of the military traffic that we have." And he he pans to the left and he sees like a A10 flying westbound, you know, the whistle from the A10. And then he pans to the right. Oh, here's an F-18 flying by. And that guy was going westbound also. And, and he's like just panning back. And there's these birds, these chucker birds. They look like emaciated chickens out there. And so he films and he goes, oh, and these are the, you know, the chucker birds, the you know, indigenous birds out here. And then he, he, and then he films his double wide. So he's got this really nice double wide or modular home. It's one story. It's like picture perfect house on the prairie. It's white with a little arbor in front, plants and all that. And it is winter time though. So, you know, the, there's no screen doors. Everything's got glass on it. And he goes, oh, here's the house. And then he goes back and now he's pointing west. He's pointing this camera west. And he goes, oh, it looks like somebody's coming right towards us. So he's filming and he's trying, and there's like a little dot. And you know, because fighter pilots are, everybody's, you know, wants to be the first one to recognize what that airplane is. This little dot is coming bigger. And there's got like 300 guys like looking, squinting their eyes. What the hell is it? Now this dot is not going up. It's like staying like right on the horizon. And he goes, oh, it looks like he's going to fly right over us. And so he takes his camera and he's trying to film this airplane. And it's an F-15, by the way. And this guy, he gets to about seven degrees AOA on this camera. The camera <laughs> drops to the ground. It's filming the dirt. And this guy goes from like the most genteel, oh, Johnny, I hope the weather's nice out there. He goes from most genteel to like a fucking sailor. Motherfucking asshole, who <laughs> son of a bitch? What the F in hell? This goddamn the Air Force is going to pay for I mean, the guy is screaming his ass off. And so you got like 300 people laughing their asses off and you're just hearing this. Oh no. And then he picks no. the camera up and he's, he, then he must've turned around and saw his double wide or his modular because he starts on one side and he goes to this window, the window's shattered, water's coming out of it. <laughs> it goes all the way to the other side. Like the plants are drooped down. He's got a 
your screen door, which would be a screen door, it's got glass on it. That's shattered. That's on the ground. And he films a couple of times back and forth. And then the front door goes, it slowly opens. And his wife's curlers are blown out of her head. And she goes, hey, what the hell was that? You had 300 guys pissing their pants laughing. And this colonel's like, well, I, I don't think we'll ever show this video again. Yeah. <laughs> it had the opposite effect. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I want to do oh. that. Oh, that is, that is just, that is just so nice. I, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and it triggered a memory. You, uh, Bugs, Bugs, you was on, uh, was on with us. Uh, True lies. A few episodes ago. He and I were on a cross country. It was on a Friday or Saturday, probably a Saturday. Cause we were on our way down South. We we're going to Key West and, it was kind of a high overcast. We were flying a low level uh, that kind of cut right down the center of the state, uh, one of those VR routes. And uh, we're coming up on one of those big lakes, and I don't know exactly which one it was, but it was the, the water was like ice. There wasn't a ripple on it. And I could see a bass boat that was not underway because there was no wake, and there was two dudes fishing, standing up on this bass boat. And so Bugsy and I are in combat spread, and with no not one word spoken hey I, I i see him moving out of the corner of my eye he's coming over and he didn't get in he didn't get in uh uh parade position or anything but we were pretty tight when we went over the top of this uh bass bass boat at at, at not a real high altitude and i remember because then and we had the wind with us too uh, we had uh, it was a wind out of the south so they didn't hear us coming and um I remember just as I was going by, I looked down I, and the guy was in the, he was getting ready to cast and I saw the whites of his eyes look, look up when we blew by. I, I don't know if they both stayed in the boat or not. It was that, it was a little low. You know, it's funny you talk about flying low level in the F4. I used to come back a lot of 4th of July's to the East Coast to see my parents on 4th of July. And one summer is 1983 we were coming back and uh, uh aggie the he was another front seater and then uh gino he was a back seater he had actually came from the navy and uh the other guy failing and then myself we were flying two ship going back so what i used to do when i go back to atlantic city i'd go over the new york the philadelphia tca and if it was clear in a million i'd drop down hit cape may i'd fly right off the beach at about you know, quarter of a mile and a hundred feet, generally less. And it was, and I always did this 4th of July weekend. So we did it this one weekend, beautiful weekend. I mean, absolutely beautiful weathers. So we uh, drop down, fly up the coast, all the way up to Atlantic City, get past Atlantic City, pop up, go to the pattern lanes. You know how it was, you, you, we'd beat the pattern up, you know, for the folks and do a home show and land. So my dad, so we did that. We, but yeah, it was just 4th of July, busy as hell, a lot of boats over the water, um, trying to avoid those. So we fly up the coast, land. My dad and Jack DiStefano, Jack's a good guy. He's passed away. He was one of my instructors. Uh, they took us to a sports bar, which my dad used to go to a lot. So the four of us, sports bar, you can't buy a drink. You know how that is. So all sure. the guys are sitting there, ah, let me buy you a drink. So they got these cameras in there. What I didn't know is WCAU TV had a remote at Wildwood. And I'm about ready to drink my rum and coke. And this guy smacks me on the back. You know, I get alcohol abuse because it spills the, so the, the rum on my flight suit. And he goes, hey, there you are. And I looked up on the TV and here is the camera guy. Oh no. Full view, F4, right over the water, going up the beach. And the lady's going, oh, and it even looks like the military is enjoying this lovely weekend. And this guy's like, Kenny, Kenny. I'm like, dude, dude, shut up. <laughs> pretty soon, everybody's like, hey, Kenny, there's your kid up there. There's on TV. I'm like, oh, <laughs> So, you know, all of us, we're like thinking, oh, I'm thinking this is the end of my career. So, you know, that evening, I, we didn't get a phone call. The whole weekend, no phone call. So I thought, okay, we're good to yeah. go. So Monday morning comes, we're going back to McConnell. 
take off. My dad says, how are you flying back? And I said, same way we came up, we're going to go off the beach. And he goes, don't, aren't you worried about getting in trouble or anything? I said, no, we fly over the water. So we took off VFR, you know, went back the same way. We're over the water, popped up at Cape May, picked up a uh, IFR clearance and uh, went back. So that night I get a phone call from the old man. He says, he starts cussing me out. He goes, you are the biggest piece of shit on the face of this planet. And this is a guy who was like always lived vicariously through me and my client. I'm like, well, what's your issue? He goes, oh boy, you guys, you guys budged the shit out of Sea Isle, didn't you? I said, no, we flew by it, but we didn't buzz. He goes, no, you did. You buzzed it three times. You guys went right over the beach. It was so bad that, you know, the lifeguards were jumping off their stands. Sand was being kicked up. I said, dad, I'm telling you, we didn't do it. He goes, yeah, you did. He goes, you're lying MF. So, and he hung up. I'm like, oh, what the hell? So not more than 15 minutes later, this guy I know, John, he's the head of the lifeguards at Sea Isle. He starts cussing me out. And I said, what is your problem? He goes, you guys buzzed the living shit out of the beach today. I said, John, I didn't buzz the beach. He goes, yeah, you did, you liar. He goes, you have no idea People are traumatized. They thought you were going to crash. You were kicking up sand. And he said the same thing. Lifeguards are jumping off of their little, you know, little stands that they're on. I said, John, I'm telling you, we didn't do it. Pussies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I hung up. I'm thinking, okay, well, that wasn't me. But, God, if they think it's me, I'm screwed. Yeah, I'm getting so, bad. I'm getting blamed for it. <laughs> yeah. So nothing happens. Uh and the rest of the story is my dad died, never believing me, by the way, because he passed away in 2000. But in 2004, I'm with my airline. I'm an instructor in, uh, in an MD-11, and uh, we're going to the West Coast, and I'm talking to this student. He's a first officer. And I never tell that story. I just generally just don't tell it. But I was telling it to this first officer, and his eyes got real big. He goes, I knew who that was. I'm like, What? He goes, yeah. He goes, I used to be a Navy A-7 instructor at Lemoore. And that was, that guy was from my sister squadron. And his parents had a house on Sea Isle and he buzzed the hell out of it. And uh, he lost his wings over it. They, in fact, when he landed to get gas, he never flew again. They pulled him back and uh, that was the rest of his. Oh, military. be darn. Wow. So how about that? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, civilians, they don't know, A7, F4, you know, what What the hell? You got to go, yeah, that's it. But you got to do one and done. You can't, uh, you know, repeat passes. It's oh, just yeah. going to get you. That's hammered. rookie. So, that's rookie mistake. Yeah. In fact, I can't, that reminds me, I came out of uh, Brunswick one day and I had turned by my wing. And we were going to visit uh, somebody I know in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, so we we canceled, uh, canceled IFR. Started squawking VFR and started heading northbound up. We were going for uh, Newfound Lake, just below the Yankee 1 and 2 Moa. And we were about four or five miles south of the lake. We were combat spread, and I was going to be the one going over the house and then make a, a hard turn right over the house and then and, and head westbound and pick up the initial point on our low level. And we were about, like I say, we were about 10 miles south of the lake when Turnip keys the mic and goes, hey, repeat. I've never been this fast in a Harrier before. <laughs> we were shaking and falling. It's like, oh man, okay, I'll back off a little bit here. But I had gone, I had gone mill power at ten thousand feet and put put the nose down, and it conquered, which was thirty miles south of Newfound Lake. And by the time we were about ten miles south of Newfound Lake, we were we were borderline. <laughs> it probably had a shock wave, but yeah. uh, trying to yeah. detach, which yeah. which it wouldn't. Yeah. Plus it was, yeah, it would not. Uh, plus it was uh, January and it was about four degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, yeah. So we had plenty oh, yeah. of thrust developed with that engine. That. <laughs> yeah. Repeat. I've never been this fast before in a jet in the Harrier. <laughs> okay. Mm. Let's go. So, yeah, that's awesome. That was, I remember taking off out of uh, going to one of the times I was going to 4th of July or going back home. I was single ship. Had a lot of gas, took off out of uh, Springfield, Ohio. It was an A7 unit at the time. So I thought, you know, clearing a million going. So got up to about 35,000 feet. Remember, there used to be a thing. I don't know if it's still there. You could go supersonic above 35,000 feet in the, over the continental. We never had that problem in the Harrier. Yeah, to be real <laughs> honest with you, Jedi. We, <laughs> it wasn't one of those things I committed to memory. 
So I get up there and I thought, you know, I'm going to just, we all light a gas. So I just punched it in the burner and F4 had four zones. So I went in and we went, we were doing like right at the limit. I had pulled the burner, pulled it back to min burner. So we went from Cleveland Center to New York Center. And the controller says to me, son, you need to pull it back to sub light speed or I can't let you into my airspace. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, can they tell if you're supersonic or not? I, could, I never did ask the guy, but I was like, geez, can probably they tell a by true, my... A true <laughs> airspeed readout, of course, or he's probably getting a, some kind of ground speed readout and just based on other traffic, he thought, oh, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty funny, though. So Jedi has a bunch more of these stories, and he has he's quite uh, a prolific writer. So uh, I wanted to let everyone know he's got a Substack. If you want to go and read some more of these, I, I guarantee you, you will laugh out loud. My son and I were looking at some of these earlier. My son was howling. What's the address of your Substack, uh, Jedi? Uh, just Substack.com, and just search Roger Blair Johnson. Okay. You got to use my middle name, okay. uh, B L A I R. Okay. Okay. So and, awesome. uh, it'll pop up, and it's whether it's, it's Roger Blair's stories flying. You found it, I guess. Uh, yes. Yeah. Just Googled so, it. Just Googled yeah. it. Yeah. So, and then I guess the other question I have is: so you've got another book coming out soon? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah t- uh, tell yes. us a little bit about that. What's uh, What's that about? And when's it due out? It's a. Uh, I, I don't want to get like metrosexual here. Um, <laughs> I'll have a but, whole new respond. I have a whole new uh, respect for you, Jedi. If you say <laughs> metrosexual again, <laughs> but you know, I I started writing this story. There's there's a lot involved in that story. That's probably kind of like uh, what is the word catharsis. I'm a I'm from New Jersey. I'm a public yeah. education. But you know, there's a lot growing up with my father and I that was good and bad. And like when I look at the stars at night, I, I see Orion's belt. I think of my dad talking to me about flying over the North Atlantic and DC-4s and following the North Star and the Big Dipper and all that crap. And so I start this F-16 flight from Baggettville, Canadian Air Force Base, going to McConnell. And it's a fictitious story, but there's a lot of personal realism in it in my life that I include. So I go down through this flight and it's about this guy flying a Viper single seat going, you know, he's above the clouds, just easy cross country going back to McConnell. And as he's over a certain part of the United States, he has a emergency that he has to deal with. And the guy was me when I was at a young age, you know, and didn't realize that things, the only, I only thought the things that mattered were, roof stomping at 3 a.m., bars, you know, getting drunk with the boys, uh, seeing upside down Normas at the strip joint, um, you know, just all that. And even though I was married, um, I just thought there was a macho fighter pilot image that I had to maintain all my life. And this guy comes to realization during this flight that maybe he needs, it, it just, you know, he, he discovers God, he discovers himself. He discovers really what's important in life. And I'll just leave it at that. Wait a oh, minute. Awesome. Awesome. I got to process this. Yeah. Hold what's on. What's the second. title of it? Wait. I'm not sure. I. You mean there's there's more than those things you rattled off to life? <laughs> no, I know. I, did, I discovered them far too late, though. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I was right there with you. I mean, really. Do you remember it's... the ailing? The ailing. Uh, the fighter pilot ailing syndrome, what they call it? The ailing fighter pilot syndrome? Uh, yes. In fact, there was, uh, oh, I can't remember the guy's name now that did, he did a whole, a whole thing about it. Um, yes, he did. He did two series on it. It was a, a Navy doc and, and one was yeah, sex in the Naval Navy, Aviator. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That, yes. The, that the, guy. Then the failing fighter pilot. And I can't think of his name. Have to Google well, it. <clears throat> when that came that. out, I was flying and I was instructing the weapons school and one night, Bill, um, God, I can't think of his name, but it doesn't matter. Bill and I went out and we did a 1v1 BFM. And actually, we were, the night before, it was Wednesday night, it was ladies' night, we went to Harry's Uptown Bar and Grill. And when I was in there, I, I was going through a divorce at the time. So, um, and I just bought a sports car 
if oh. you remember the uh, all the triggers for the alien fighter pilot syndrome. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I met this girl, Julie Hooper. And I mean, she had like double D's. She was awesome. Uh, five foot five. And she goes, oh, I just love fighter pilots. So I'm like, well, I love women that love fighter pilots. So uh, so we got to talking that night. We we're having a few drinks. And she, I said, what do you do? She goes, well, I do ecological stream surveys for the state of Kansas. I said, well, do you ever go by McConnell in the morning? She goes, oh, yeah. I said, well, we got an 8 a.m. takeoff. Why don't you wait at the viewing area? And I'll you know, fly by and I'll wave to you. She goes, well, how will I know it's you? And I said, darling. You're gonna know it's me. There's no doubt in your mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that viewing area was like a quarter mile off the end of the runway, and we were flying clean F4s, took off 10 second spacing. I kept it about 15 feet above the runway, held it to about right where that viewing area is, went on a knife edge, and she was right below me on the top of her Jeep. She was only 15 feet down. And I'm telling the noise had to have been unbelievable. So went right over the Jeep, then pulled up, and then we do a tactical departure. So I come back. It's only a, it's a short 45-minute flight because we're clean. It's BFM. And I walk into the ops building. My flight ops commander comes up to me, dirty. He says, oh, that was some performance. He goes, uh, you're grounded for two weeks. So, and he goes, you need to be evaluated for that ailing fighter pilot syndrome. <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. I said, Dirty, I can't thank you enough. You just gave me two full weeks to be with this girl. <laughs> right on. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that was fun stuff. Perfect. God, those days were fun. Great stories. Yeah. Indeed they are. <laughs> Dr. Frank Dully, by the way, is I looked it up. Dr. Frank Dully is the guy who came up with that. Well, Jedi, uh, we're coming up. Uh, it looks like we're a little over an hour, so it's it's come to the time where we need to wrap it up. I want to say uh, thank you for your service. Uh, yeah, thank you for thanks for your service, Jedi. Really appreciate it. Um, both uh, military and, and civilian, um, you were uh, my instructor on a couple of occasions at our airline, so uh, that's that's appreciated. You didn't fail me when you had the opportunity. <laughs> so I don't know if that's good judgment or bad. I, I would tend to lean in the bad. <laughs> but I appreciate it anyway. In the meantime, let me go over just a couple things of business. If you are at all interested in a gift for an aviator or you'd like one for yourself, either with your squadron logo or your tail number of your airplane and some aircraft gauges on them, go to robinsbirdbraindesigns.com and you can get yourself some beautiful coasters that are made out of slate and laser etched personalized for you. Thanks to Dave Hamilton over at the Mac Geek Gab, the folks who gave us the technical ability to put this show together. And if you have any questions, you can write to fig at so there I was dot us or repeat at so there I was dot us. Follow us on Facebook at so there I was dot us slash Facebook and on Twitter at so there I was dot us slash Twitter. If you want to get a hold of Jedi, again, you can Google his book uh, or his Substack at substack.com and Roger Blair Johnson, B-L-A-I-R. And you can either look him up that way or shoot us an email and we'll make sure to get it to him. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in Check 6. Roger. Huh? LA departure frequency 123.9. Roger. Huh? Request vector. Over. What? Flight 209er clear for vector 324. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger.